There is no other king like him. He's the one that our kiddos were just singing, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. What a special sight that was. Um, especially for me, my son Roman, I think he was over here somewhere. I couldn't really see him. I think he was acting pretty good. Um, he's three. If you've got a three-year-old, you're never really sure what's going to happen. Um, he's one of those kids that kind of says things that aren't true right now. Anybody have a three-year-old like that? Okay, I'm not alone. Let me give you a case in point. Uh, we could go Wednesday um, after Arowana went to pick up Roman from his class. Came up to the door and his teacher said, Ryan, uh, Roman said something. Oh gosh, what did he say? And they said, well, we were asking all the kids, what is preaching? Silence in the room. They asked Roman and said, Roman, what does your dad do on Sundays? Oh gosh. <laughs> he said, oh, I know. He beats people. Yeah. Today, hopefully, as we get to open up God's word and as I get to preach, hopefully you don't see that as me beating you up. Um, but I'm so excited uh, to be opening up God's word. Today is Palm Sunday. I'm so thankful that you're with us. Uh, we get to celebrate Holy Week this week. And I'm just so excited for what God has in store for us this morning. If you would please bow with me in a word of prayer. God in heaven, we give you great praise this morning just for this body of believers that come together. I'm so thankful for our kiddos. Um, it, it softens my heart to see them sing praises to you because you're so deserving of it. I'm so thankful for your son Jesus, for his work on the cross. Because of him, we have life. And this morning, uh, may we respond to that work. May we respond. I pray, God, that people in this room, that their affections for Jesus would grow or would begin today because of the preaching of God's word. It's in his name we pray. Amen. How many of you have seen the movie Independence Day? Anyone seen that movie? It's been a while. Some of you young ones are like Independence Day. No idea. Um, Independence Day is, is one of the best movies and one of the worst movies combined into one. Okay? It's one of the best movies because it has Will Smith and he's awesome. Um, it's a really bad movie because of everything else. <laughs> Plot's really thin. It's really over-dramatized. Um, acting's pretty bad. But it had Will Smith, so that made up for a lot of stuff. One of my favorite parts of the movies is towards the end. Um, Bill Pullman, he plays the president at this time. And he comes before some of the fighter pilots that are about ready to be sent off to go fight the alien invasion. And he says this. Should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will, right? Um, I know for me as an eight-year-old boy, I'm like, I'm ready to go fight the aliens. I'm ready to get after it. It's an admirable thing to say this stuff, to say we will not go quietly into the night. We're not going to give up. We're never going to surrender. Something we teach our kids. We celebrate it. Oftentimes when we surrender, we're seen as weak. When we surrender, we see it as losing. And when we surrender, we see it as failure. What if I told you this, though, that the greatest moment of triumph was also the greatest example 
of surrender. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to John chapter 19, verse 30. We've been on this amazing journey through the words from the cross. The seven last thing that Jesus said as he's nailed to the cross. We have covered topics from forgiveness to salvation, from relationship to anguish to abandonment. Today we turn our attention to triumph. I'm excited about it. Maybe this week, if you've got some time, I would encourage you to read the events that lead up to this as we celebrate Palm Sunday today. And as this is Holy Week, I'd love for you to read the story leading up to the events that we'll cover on Friday night at our Good Friday service. And if you've missed any of the messages up to this point, we have them available online. You can check them out on our app. I would encourage you to do that. And I think that it would offer just this wonderful crescendo as we look to Good Friday and as we celebrate Easter Sunday this week. But with that, let's open up and read John chapter 19 and verse 30. It says this, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now this morning, to unpack this, um, we're going to answer some questions. Those are available for you in your listening guide. I'd love for you to take notes as we do that. But before we look at those questions, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things first. In order to set the stage, I think we need to highlight some things here about Jesus. And the first one is this, is that Jesus's life was not taken from him. His life was not taken from him, but rather he gave up his life. Jesus willingly surrenders his life. Verse 30 says that he gave up his spirit. He was not forced to do this. We read this all over the Bible. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, tells us that Jesus laid down his life for us. Just a couple chapters before this, Peter's acting all crazy. He decides to cut off the ear of a high priest's servant. Jesus is being arrested, and Jesus responds to Peter when he says, Put your sword into your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? You see, Jesus was not being dragged to his destination. He had determined his destination. Second, if you'd allow me, I'd like to do a quick uh, word study on what Jesus said. The phrase here in English is, it is finished. Most scholars agree, and I would also agree, that Jesus said this in Aramaic, and then John wrote down what was said in Greek. And Greek is the language that we have given to us for uh, the New Testament. And then that Greek has been translated into English for us where we get it is finished. But the Greek word is this word that some of you are probably familiar with. It's tetelestai. Tetelestai is one word for all three of our English words. It is finished. And tetelestai means to bring to an end in that of completion or accomplishment, to bring to an end and that of completion or accomplishment. So when Jesus says, it is finished, he's saying it's been completed, it's been accomplished. I think it's really important for us to understand that Jesus went to the cross willingly and he went to the cross to accomplish something, to triumph. So with that in mind, go ahead and flip open your listening guide then. We're gonna answer this first question together. What is finished? What is finished? What is it? If you've read this text before, you've probably asked this question. What did Jesus accomplish? What did he complete? And I certainly don't have an exhaustive list for us this morning, but I want to point your attention to two things. The first one is this. 
Jesus' suffering is finished. Jesus' suffering is finished. Throughout the course of his earthly life, Jesus experienced both great physical suffering and spiritual suffering. If you look back to Isaiah chapter 53, it's prophesied by the prophet that Jesus would be the man of sorrows, that he would be well acquainted with grief. Both his body and his soul would suffer. And that pain that he would experience would be culminated here at the cross. And so first, we must not overlook this horrible physical affliction that Jesus had to endure. Jesus went through trials right before going up to the cross. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was scourged. If you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, you just know how brutal this is. His flesh was literally ripped from his back. When he got to Golgotha, which is where Jesus was crucified, he was at that point then nailed to the cross and lifted up on that cross. Now, Death by crucifixion is one of the most brutal ways, one of the most horrific ways that anyone could die. All right? Not only is he going through physical pain because of the nails, but he cannot breathe at this point. The point of this death was to be slow, was to be agonizing. So with a person's arms outstretched and fastened to the cross, their chest cavity, it would be pulled upward, it would be pulled outward, makes it really difficult to breathe. Therefore, what Jesus had to do is he had to push himself up, push himself up, lift his elbows up like this just so he could catch a breath. And the weight, his body weight, would then be transferred even more onto the nails in his wrist and to the nails in his feet. It was brutal. It's horrific. But in addition to his physical pain, he also suffered spiritually. You see, Jesus bore the weight of sin. He would bear the weight of sin. Even though he was sinless, he would bear the weight of sin. I remember when I was a kid, got saved, got baptized, and then the weight of sin really began to affect me. Have you experienced that? The weight of sin? I remember telling a lie, mistreating my siblings as a kid, and and then I would come before God and repent of that sin. I, I, even now, I'm a pastor. I sin. I make mistakes. I'm not patient with my kids at all times. I get angry. And when I have that sin in my life, just the weight comes upon me, and I need to go before God and repent. The weight of my sin, the weight of your sin, pales in comparison to the weight of sin that Jesus took on. Jesus hated sin. It contradicted everything about his character, yet all that he hated was poured out upon him. The Bible uses this really big word. If you don't know this word, I would encourage you to write it down. It's a really cool word, and it has great meaning. We're told in Romans 3.25 and in other places that Jesus is our propitiation for sin. He's our propitiation. And that means that he took on the full wrath of God. The full weight of sin was poured out upon him. The wrath that was meant for us. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. His physical and spiritual suffering had been completed. Jesus triumphed over suffering when he surrendered his life on the cross. Jesus goes from victim to victor. Because of his triumph, In his suffering, 
we can receive triumph in our suffering. Because of his triumph and his suffering, we can receive triumph in our suffering. So let me ask you this morning, what are you suffering from? What are you suffering from? The Bible teaches us that suffering will continue to exist after you become a Christian. So if you don't know Jesus and you think, man, I'm just going to become a Christian so suffering ends, that's not the case. Because sin still exists in this world, suffering is something that will continue to exist. But, but the good news is this, that if you're a believer in Christ, then Christ died to give you victory and the ability to triumph over the brokenness that is attached to your suffering. Surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender your circumstances to Jesus. Surrender your doubts to Jesus and experience the triumph that he offers to his children. Jesus' death on the cross is and death on the cross and resurrection from the grave are simultaneously the greatest example of surrender and the greatest moment of triumph in all of human history. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave are simultaneously the greatest example of surrender and the greatest moment of triumph in all of human history. So that's the first thing. Jesus' suffering is finished, but also Jesus' work is finished. Praise God for this. Jesus' work is finished. The work his father had given him to do is now complete. We read about this in many places in Scripture. I want to turn your attention to John 5, 36. It says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, meaning John the Baptist. Jesus says, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. God's plan of redemption had been carried out by Jesus with his death on the cross. Jesus had brought to completion the redemptive process that was Jesus' incarnation on earth. And friends, this is the greatest triumph in human history. The wages of sin is death, but the wages of sin have been paid. And this payment is not just a partial payment. It is not just a temporary payment. It is not paid just once a year. It's not paid just on the day of atonement. It's not, it's not something that just happens arbitrarily. It is the final payment. It's the final payment. And this is really important for me, for us. Earlier I mentioned that the word to telestai means to bring to an end in, in that of completion, that of accomplishment, and one really cool thing back in those times is that word, that Greek word, would be written on commercial transactions to signify that a debt was paid in full. The debt was paid in full. The word would be stamped on or be written on a purchase or receipt to show that nothing more was owed. All sins for those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, all sins in the past, all sins in the present, and all sins in the future are paid in full. The ransom has been paid in full. How many of you have ever been through the drive-thru at a coffee shop? Anyone ever done that before? Yes, we got quite a few people that have done that. Maybe you've been to Starbucks or Coffee Crossing or Colkin around here in this area. You go through there and you come up to the drive-thru window and you put your credit card out, your cash out, and they say, actually, the person in front of you has already paid your ticket. Anybody had that happen? Okay, a few of you. I've never had that happen, so if you want to get in front of me at the drive-thru, I'm good. I'm good with that. But I have, I have been to a restaurant, 
Have you been to a restaurant and you're sitting there waiting and you're like, okay, are they ever going to bring us the ticket? Then you ask for the ticket and they're like, oh yeah, someone else has already paid that ticket for you. Your, Your meal's been covered. I have had that happen, just had that happen recently by someone in our congregation. Well, how would you respond to that? How would you respond? Some of you'd be like, well, I would have gotten a bigger meal and I would have ordered dessert, right? <laughs> but most of us, we would be grateful. We would say, thank you. This small gesture of kindness, man, that's so cool. I'm so glad that they did that. Now, what about this? What if somebody paid off your mortgage? The entire thing. Let's say you have a mortgage that's well over $100,000. If somebody paid that off, how would you respond? Most of us would be going to the person and say, can I give you something? Can I, maybe I can make just monthly payments for you. That's, that's way too kind. That's way too much. This is how we often will respond to Jesus. The debt that he's paid, it's paid in full. It's paid in full. So many people aren't willing to accept it. We think that we need to do something. We've got to still work. We've got to earn it. Could you imagine like me going up to the restaurant, the clerk at the restaurant, I was like, I know that that person paid for me, but I still want to make a payment on this bill. He'd be like, no, man, you're crazy. Go away. All right, it's been paid. Accept this gift of grace. In fact, I don't have a bill. I can't ring you up. I just can't do it. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has paid it in full. Anselm says this, sinful man owes God a debt for sin, which he cannot repay. And at the same time, he cannot be saved without repaying it. Jesus stepped in and paid your debt in full with his finished work on the cross. If you're in this place and you still don't believe me, you're still like, I don't know, I just feel like I need to earn it. I want to give you four quick pieces of evidence, some proof further proof that what Jesus did on the cross has paid your debt in full. And the first is this, the veil was torn. The veil was torn. This is very significant. After Jesus dies on the cross, this huge, gigantic veil is ripped, it says in Matthew, from top to bottom. This veil was what separated people from being in the holy of holies. So the high priest at the time, he would go in, open the veil, go in, and temporarily pay by killing a lamb for people's sin. And he would have to go back in, go back in. But now, because of Jesus' death, the way to God is open. Jesus, as our great high priest, has paid the ransom needed for us to have access to God the Father. The priesthood of the believer has been established. Praise God for that. That's the first thing. The second thing is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead. We're going to celebrate this next week. Next week, I hope you can be here for that. I hope you're bringing a friend. But Jesus Christ's resurrection is proof and evidence that God accepted the payment of sin that Jesus gave to us on the cross. Third, the fact that Jesus went and sat down at the right hand of God. This is proof. This is proof that Jesus has finished his work on the cross Priests in the Old Testament, they could never sit down because it was temporary. It was a temporary payment. But in many places in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1, 3 signifies this work when we read this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Fourth, the Holy Spirit would be sent to those who would repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus' work on the cross is finished. The veil was torn. He was raised from the dead. He goes to sit at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is sent. When Jesus shouted, it is finished, he forever changed the course of history and his work was completed. Because it is finished, salvation is available. Because it is finished, Satan has been defeated. Because it is finished, our sins can be forgiven. Because it is finished, our debt has been paid. Because it is finished, the blind can receive sight. Because it is finished, the broken can be healed. Because it is finished, the lost are found. Because it is finished, sin has been defeated. Because it is finished, the sting of death is gone. Because it is finished, we are bought by the blood of the lamb. Because it is finished, the wrath of God has been satisfied. Because it is finished, we can have eternal life. That gets my heart beating fast. Because of this triumph and his work on the cross, we can receive triumph over sin in response to the cross. As we finish up this morning, I want to give you a point of application. I want to give you one question that every person in this worship center needs to answer and needs to answer regularly. The question is this, how do we receive the finished work of Jesus? Put your name in that place. How do I, Ryan, how do I receive the finished work of Jesus? The answer is simple. The answer is not easy. You must surrender. You must surrender. Jesus set that example for us. He surrendered. Jesus says, I've accomplished it. Now receive it. Most people, though, they live a life where they just cannot accept it. They feel like that they're not good enough. They cannot do enough. But because of Jesus' work, we can come before God acceptable in his sight. We just must surrender so that he can triumph in our lives. We must surrender so that he can triumph in our lives. Maybe for you, you've come into the worship center today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Why? Why not? What are you holding on to? What do you need to surrender? Is it control? Are you holding on to control? Surrender it before him. Are you afraid of what others might think? Surrender that. Sin had ruined God's relationship with man, but Jesus triumphed over sin to bring us back into a right relationship with God the Father. Surrender yourself to him this morning. Maybe you have recently entered into a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've fallen away and you've come back and you're recommitting your life to Jesus. What do you need to surrender this morning? What do you need to surrender? Is it a broken relationship? Is it some sort of anxiety? Maybe for you it's also control. Maybe it's just some sort of selfishness. You're like, Ryan, I can't give up this comfortability that I have. I just can't do it. Please surrender that before him so that God can triumph in your life. Or maybe for you, you're on fire for Christ. 
You are raring to go. You love Graceland so much, and you just want to know what to do. Right? How, do I, how do I receive the, the finished work of Jesus in my life right now? What does that look like? For you, because it is finished, the, minish, the, the mission begins. Because it is finished, the mission begins. We have our work to do because of his finished work on the cross. For you, maybe that means discipling someone. Being a disciple maker. Replicating what it is that God's doing in your life and the life of someone else. So much so that you unleash that person to then disciple someone else. That's what Jesus calls us to do. He says, go and make disciples. I've given you authority, go, and I'll be with you. Get rid of your uncomfortability, find someone, disciple them. For you, maybe that means building relationships with the intention that you're going to share your faith. You're going to build relationships with people to share your faith. It's not easy. Again, both of these things take a great amount of time, but you know someone at the gym, you know someone at work, you've met someone, and you are like, man, I really want to get to know them so I can share my faith. Set up some coffee, set up a lunchtime, do whatever it takes, get to know that person so that you can, you can share with them the triumph that you have in your life because of your relationship with Jesus. Surrender your comfortability, surrender all the other stuff you have going on, and do this because the mission begins in us. Or maybe for you, you need to serve. You've been coming, you've been sitting in here, you've been listening and you've been fed and you're growing in your faith. Now you need to work out that faith. You need to work it out. We've got so many opportunities for you to get plugged in right here. So many opportunities in our community. If you have questions about what that looks like, I'm our ministries pastor. And so I would love to help you get plugged into serving in ministries. What does that look like for you? What do you have to give up? What do you have to surrender in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Let's just not realize that we're called to do it. Let's respond and let's do it. Let's change the world. Let's change Southern Indiana. Let's change the people in our spheres of influence. Friends, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave are simultaneously the greatest example of surrender and the greatest moment of triumph in all of human history. How are you going to respond to that?